We are going to be continuing a series that we've been in over the last few weeks in the New Testament book of Luke. Uh, we are today in Luke chapter 8. We're going to read together from verse 1 through to 21. Uh, so if you've got a Bible, I would encourage you to go ahead and open it up, find Luke chapter 8. Uh, if you're at home and it's somewhere else in the house, if you've got time, just kind of dash, grab it. Uh, if you don't have one, don't worry. The words will come up on the screen for you to follow along. But I would encourage you, if you've got one, please do go ahead and find it for yourself. Now, as we get going today, I need to warn you that these verses we're going to read together are not comfortable or easy verses. They're, they're, they're strong verses. They're, they're sobering verses. They're verses that bring a challenge to us as we read them. But I, I want to say as well that we, we cannot and must not shy away from verses like this. The Bible is, is full, when you read it, of, of both warnings and assurances. So actually, as you read the Bible, we'll find that there are many assurances. Assurances to those who hope and trust in Christ Jesus. That they're secure. That their future is secure. That through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, they have received an eternal inheritance that, that can't ever be taken away from them, that they are held fast in the hands of the Almighty God and they can't ever be snatched away from Him. There are so many assurances that we can read in Scripture, but there are also many warnings that we find in Scripture, warnings that faith without works is dead, warnings that many who believe they're saved are in fact not Warnings that trusting in anyone or anything other than Christ to save us is just utter folly. But what I've observed over time, and you might be able to relate to this in some way, is that often those who need to hear the assurances hear the warnings. And they begin to worry. And those who really could do with hearing the warnings, who need to wake up, who need to respond to the warnings that Scripture carries, sadly, often just take hold of the assurances and carry on their own way in their disobedience. And so I'm going to pray for us in just a moment. And my, my prayer is simply this, that actually those who need assurance today would receive that. But that equally those who need to hear this warning and to receive it and respond to it would not duck that, but would hear it and would respond. So I'm going to pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this gift to us, Lord, that you've breathed it out, Lord, and you've given it to us for, for our benefit, Lord, that you've given it to us that as we read and as we understand it, that we might be built up, that we might grow to maturity. Lord, we thank you for your word that is useful for, for teaching and rebuking and, and training in righteousness, that we would be equipped to live for you. Lord, I pray today that you would challenge us where we need challenging through your word, but also, Lord, that you would comfort us where we need comforting. Lord, I pray now, would you give us hearts receptive 
to your word. Holy Spirit, would you take what we read today and apply it into our lives, cause it to to take root and bear fruit in our lives for your glory and for actually our benefit. Lord, your word is given uh, for our good, not to restrict us, but to release us into true freedom. Lord, will you be at work by your spirit now, we pray. Amen. Good. Well, we're going to get into it together. So we're in Luke chapter 8. Let's read together the first little section from verse 1. We're going to do what we normally do. We'll read a small bit, pause, unpack and apply that, and then we'll move on and so on until we are finished. So let's read from chapter 8, verse 1. Soon afterwards, he, that's Jesus, went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve, that's his closest followers, were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chuzah, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. This is like, there's loads that we could dive into here, but essentially... For today, this is setting the scene for us, reminding us what Jesus has been doing as he travels around from place to place, proclaiming good news, preaching the word of God to people, as well as seeing captives freed, people who are sick made well again. Good news proclaimed. So Jesus has been traveling around, preaching, performing miracles, and crowds have been gathering to him. But not just gathering to him to hear him speak or see him do miracles, but also traveling around with him. He's got this whole crew who are following him around. There's the 12 who he's specifically called and who he's investing in, discipling. Uh, And there are others too, including a group of women that we read about here who actually are out of their own means are financing the mission of Jesus. Jesus' fame is spreading all the while. It can't go anywhere without large groups of people gathering to hear and to see what amazing thing he might do next. And so it's into that context that Jesus taught what we're going to read today. Okay, so he's traveling around, he arrives in a place, and we read this then from verse 4. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, He said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. There's this huge crowd gathered around eager to see what Jesus might do next, to hear what he would say. But Jesus 
we see here, wasn't content with drawing a crowd. He wasn't actually interested in just having a vast number of people gathered around. He wasn't interested in people simply coming to join the crowd and see what the buzz was about. And I think sometimes we can be tempted to believe that large numbers equals success. We often, even in church, people kind of talk about, kind of, oh, you know, how many people are there on a Sunday? Like, how big's your church? And we can have size as this measure of success. Drawing a crowd is the benchmark of doing well. And, and Jesus here really isn't particularly interested in that. He wants the best for these people who have come. And so he gives them a warning in the form of a parable, a story with a meaning. And, and this story serves as a wake-up call to them. We're going to dig into that more in just a moment and see how it applies. And, and actually, very helpfully, we, we don't have to guess because Jesus explains what the parable means. So some of them, we don't get an explanation and we have to read it in the context and seek to understand what Jesus was teaching. But here, he makes it very clear. And so we're going to get to that in a moment. But there is something that Jesus also said that's, that's slightly more obscure. I don't know if you noticed, having told the parable... He shouts out over this crowd, he who has ears, let him hear. And you think, okay, I mean, that's a slightly weird thing to say. Like, um, okay. And then he, walking with his disciples and explaining it to them, expands on that a little further. And he says that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Here, Jesus is alluding to some verses from the Old Testament, from the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah is sent by God to deliver his message to the people of God who are in rebellion against him, who don't want to hear what God wants to speak to them. And Isaiah is sent to deliver this message, and part of that is that he says that they be ever hearing but never understanding that they would be ever seeing but never perceiving. And Jesus is taking that and bringing that in this context. And the, the thrust of this saying is that people can and will be blind to the truth of the gospel, that they could hear it time and time again and yet never respond, never receive it, never take it in, never allow it to take root in their lives and I guess we all know the difference between hearing and hearing, don't we? Yeah? Like, my mum certainly knew the difference when I was growing up. My mum would frequently complain, and justifiably so, <laughs> that I hadn't really heard her. It's like my ears had heard the sound, but that hadn't actually connected in any way or moved me into action in any way. There was no evidence of the fact that I'd heard whatsoever. She said, are you listening? Can you hear me? And I know a little bit about what that feels like sometimes as a parent myself. Sometimes like, I know you've heard me, but have you heard me? Have you taken it in? Is it going to result in action 
will there be a response as evidence of the fact that you have heard, or is it just a noise that's kind of passed in one ear and out of the other? And that's what Jesus is talking about here. People who would hear the word of God proclaimed, would hear even Jesus' amazing teaching, but who would not receive it. It's like they would be there, but not really there. They're there with their eyes and ears closed. They might hear, but they're not listening. And to help us and his disciples understand what that looks like and, and how that will result in the way people respond or don't respond to the word of God, he gives us this parable. And in the parable, we see there are three scenarios Jesus gives for people who hear but don't really hear. They're, they're those who are hearing but never understanding, who are seeing but never perceiving what's going on. And then he gives one example of someone who does hear and take hold of it. And so he begins with explaining the parable. We read from verse 11. He says to his disciples, Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are ones who have heard. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. First up, Jesus says, do you know, there are some people who will hear the word of God preached. And instead of hearing it, instead of it going in, instead of it being received by them, it will be snatched away. And he says here, by the devil. See, every time the word of God is preached, every time someone opens the Bible to read it or to speak it out, it's an act of warfare. There's a war going on. There's a battle for our hearts and our minds. When we read God's word, the devil does not want people to hear and receive and respond to the word of God. This afternoon, as you're sat here, the devil does not want you to hear the word of God and respond to it. There's a battle going on. And he'll use all kinds of tactics. Skepticism, pride. I oh, know that doesn't, doesn't apply to me. The disparaging words of friends. Like, you, couldn't, you don't really believe that, do you? Are you serious? Fear of what others might say. But make no mistake, there is a battle on. And guys, that's, we need to take that seriously. I take that seriously. Every time I stand up here, this is warfare. That's why I pray. That's why I pray during the week as I prepare to preach. That's why I pray for myself, that God would help me to, to understand and God would help me to clearly proclaim his word. But it's why I also pray for you. I pray for each one of you that as you hear this wouldn't be snatched away, but it would be taken in and it would bear fruit in your lives. But it's not just the devil who would want to snatch away the seed of God's word that stops it bearing fruit in people's lives. Jesus gives us two more. He goes on to explain the next. He says, those on the rock 
are those who, when they hear the word, this from verse 13, receive it with joy. And so far, so good. We think, yes, they've heard, they've responded, they receive it with joy. And he says, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, they fall away. Jesus is clear. He says, some people will hear the word of God with joy. They'll receive the gospel, the good news that those who put their faith and trust in Christ Jesus might not perish but have eternal life. And they they respond with joy to that good news proclamation. But when all is said and done, they don't stay the course. Their spiritual life is stunted and frail. There's no vitality in it. And Jesus says, because they have no roots. Men and women who would consider themselves to be Christians. But there's no depth there. There's no relationship. There's no fruit. There's no evidence of it, actually, in their lives. Now, tragically, I've met lots of people like this. Many people I've met who've grown up in the church, who've gone all their lives, were taken by their parents as children and perhaps as a child responded in some way and said, yes, I I want to be a Christian too, because their parents were often. But as they grow, there's no evidence. There's no evidence of it in their lives. There's no repentance for sin. No devotion to God, no serious pursuit of holiness, no desire to grow more like Christ. They may have learned how to say and do the right things to fit in at church. They know the songs, they sing along, they know how to behave. But they're not really growing more like Jesus. For many, it's nothing more than a than a surface-level cultural Christianity. They just go through the motions, because that's what we do. It's kind of like being in a social club. Although, if I'm honest, I think there are probably more exciting social clubs to join, if that's what you're up for. Jesus warns about this kind of person, that the danger of not receiving God's word and digging your roots down deep into him, of pursuing him, of responding to his word with obedience in your life. That actually, when trials and testing come, they, they fall away because they have no roots. Trees with shallow roots are vulnerable when storms come. We've all seen huge pines with tiny shallow root balls that have fallen down in high winds, Yeah? particularly around here. There's loads of them. If you go walk in Gorick woods after a storm, you see big, huge trees that when they're stood look amazing, but in the wind, they're very vulnerable. People who don't hold fast to God's word, who don't sink their roots down deep into relationship with him, who don't hold fast to this, who don't build their lives on the foundation of Christ, are very vulnerable when trials come. And again, I'm sad to say, I've met many people like this, 
who've grown up in the church, but when opposition comes, when their faith has been challenged by people at school or university or in the workplace or circumstances run against them, they just fall away. There are many people like this in the church in the UK today. There'll be people listening to sermons up and down the country like this today. But actually, I think that this kind of shallow-rooted cultural Christianity is becoming less and less common in our country. And, And not for good reasons, actually. I think it's becoming less and less common because society is increasingly hostile towards Christianity, towards the teaching of Scripture. And so actually, I think this next category that Jesus gives us applies to far more people today and is growing and growing all the more. Because Jesus goes on to say this from verse 14, And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. See, here Jesus talks about those who will settle for less than God's will for them, who will trade intimacy with God and obedience to God for other things that they think will meet their needs, the cares of this life. Effectively, they hear God's word and then decide they know better. And doing this will stunt your growth as a Christian. He says it will stop you from bearing real fruit and ultimately it will choke out your spiritual life altogether. I think this is happening more and more. And what do I mean by that? I mean, people are taken and choked by the cares of this world as they modify their faith in order to accommodate culture. Because actually living in obedience to God's word, receiving the word of God as seed in your life, taking it in and living in obedience to it, allowing it to bear fruit in your life, Allowing the Holy Spirit to to form more and more of the likeness of Christ in you will put you at odds with culture. It will mean saying no to things that you want to say yes to out of your desires and passions. It will mean potentially missing out on some things that you think will satisfy you, that you think will bring you pleasure And so you compromise. I've met so many people like this and it breaks my heart. People who have an attitude in the end of like, yeah, you know, we can can still go to church and we can have a nice community with these people. But but we don't want to stand out too much from culture. Because, you know, that that would make us weird. Like, we don't want to be perceived as, as weird. We want to be popular and accepted, and liked, and so we dull things down. We make adjustments. We shelve certain beliefs 
and doctrines. We, we read scripture increasingly selectively. Well, I think that bit was just for then and there. That, that, that was a culturally bound thing. That, that can't possibly be for us. And, and I think, you know, maybe if you, if you read that, then I, I don't think that's necessary. We find ways of excusing and ignoring the bits of the Bible that make us feel uncomfortable. It's often very subtle when this happens. It seems like small things. We justify it to ourselves and one another. It's just, like, it's just a, a small thing. Like, it's not essential. It's not a core thing. Which is just a, it's just a, it barely makes a difference if we take that bit off. I had a conversation with someone recently about this, and they used an illustration that stuck with me. They said it's a bit like peeling layers off an onion. Have like thin, like a, a layer is on an onion when you peel it. And you think, oh, it doesn't, doesn't, like, oh, it doesn't even make a difference if I take that bit off, it's fine. But if you keep peeling slowly, slowly, one by one by one, eventually there's nothing left. And over time, the weeds of this world the weeds of popular culture, the lure of prosperity, of praise, of pleasure, choke out your spiritual life and prevent you from living in obedience to God's word and and really bearing fruit. When we value the approval of men more highly than the approval of God, when we value the created over the creator, it's foolishness. And yet... So many do it. Jesus warns about it here, that this will be the case. But there's an alternative. There's another way. There's one more way of responding that Jesus talks about. We read from verse 15, he says, As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast, in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Those who hear it, who take it in and hold fast to it, won't let it be taken away, won't let it be snatched away and who are honest with themselves about how it applies to them. You notice that? They hear the word, they hold it fast with what? With an honest and good heart. Honesty is required so that when we hear the word of God, we recognize how it speaks to us. We recognize where it challenges us and we receive that challenge. You acknowledge as you read, yeah, I've, I've fallen short there. I'm struggling with sin in in that area. Yeah. You're honest with yourself. You recognize that. You go, yeah, that's me. You're willing to look at it humbly and to say, yeah, I need God. I need forgiveness. I, I need him. I need more of his spirit at work in my life to help me stand strong in that area. And you respond. You confess. You seek out help. Seek accountability 
find forgiveness. And what happens, Jesus says? Over time, little by little. Notice it says here, he says, with patience, it's not necessarily going to happen overnight. But as you hear it, and as you respond to it with humility and with honesty, what happens? You bear fruit. You grow. You become more like Christ. You step more and more into the freedom that God has for you, into living the way that he designed you to live. And Jesus continues to teach into this. And, and he shifts from the parable about the seed to talking about light. He kind of changes his metaphor, but continues teaching about the same subject. So we read from verse 16, he says this. He says, No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar and puts it under a bed, or puts it under a bed. I, I love that picture, because you're just like, yeah, duh. Like, who does that? Like, you're in a dark room. Who lights a lamp and then sticks it under the bed? It's no use there, is it? No, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be made known and come to light. Jesus shifts from seed to light. So seed was the picture that he began with as the word of God. And now he moves to light. And the word is light. And in the light all things are seen. It reveals what's going on. It says here, Nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. When the light shines, things are seen for how they really are. When we stand under the light of God's word, our hearts are exposed. It helps us to see what's really going on. If we hear, if we live in the light, then our need becomes known. And in that place, we can respond and find forgiveness. But if we don't hear, if we're those who have ears but don't hear, who have eyes but don't see, if we're those who attempt to, to shield ourselves from the light, or to try and quickly hide it under the bed or put a bowl over the top of it to prevent it from seeing us. We try to keep things hidden. But in the end, nothing remains hidden. In the end, God's light will show us all for how we really are. There won't be any hiding. And either will be found in Christ, forgiven, righteous, whole, healed, or will be exposed in our sin. As we read it, the Word of God shines a light on the true condition of our hearts, and we have a choice. We can hide away from it, or we can respond. 
We can allow it to expose our sin. We can bring it out into the open and we can find forgiveness in Christ Jesus. And then Jesus sums up this whole section saying this. And this is, these are some of the most sobering words that I, I think Jesus says in his earthly ministry. As he concludes this section, he says this, Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Take care how you hear. Don't be like the, the hard ground that the seed bounces off. Don't give in to the weeds of this life that will choke out your spiritual growth, your relationship with God. Take care how you hear. Are you just hearing or are you listening? Are you receiving it? Are you taking it to heart? Are you ready to respond? Because Jesus says, those who respond and hold fast with honest and good hearts... To them, Jesus says, more will be given. What is that more? Well, they will receive an eternal reward. They will be those who know what it is to be with their Father in heaven forever, to, to delight in his presence, to, to dwell with him, to know perfect peace, eternal joy. Those whose lives bear fruit who grow in holiness, will live this life to the full, but will also step confidently into eternity, into the glorious presence of God forever. But, but Jesus says, for the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. What's he saying? He says, those who are just playing games, those who hear but without action, without response, without obedience, without repentance, without holiness. Those who are just kind of in it for the cultural Christianity. They're just along for the ride. Those who are making up numbers in the crowd that he first addressed and who are just making up numbers in the church today. What they think they have will be taken away. This is a sober, sober warning. We have to hear it. See, Jesus speaks like this elsewhere and at other times in his ministry too. I find one of the most stark and sobering where Jesus says a very similar thing is in Matthew chapter 7. He says this, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through to 23. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. What's that? If we take it in the context of what we've been speaking about today, who are those who do the will of his Father in heaven? They're those who hear and receive the word, who respond and it bears fruit in their lives. Carry on from 22. He says, On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. 
depart from me. All those things he lists there are things that we're inclined to think, like, wow. <laughs> you know, if you see someone doing those things, you can be inclined to think, wow, they're, like, they're really going for it. Like, they're really spiritual. They're the ones that are, like, praying for the sick and prophesying. Wow. They're proper spiritual. They are. But none of those things, none of those things are what ultimately counts. None of those things mean you are truly a Christian. Jesus says that's not what counts. So I need to ask you, because he says, I'll say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. So I need to ask, do you know him? Are you among those who do the will of the Father? Are you living in obedience to him? Are you waging war against the sin in your life? I've got to ask you, because it's the only thing that ultimately counts. You can come here week in, week out. You could serve on a team every Sunday. You could be the first in and the last out. You could contribute and pray out during worship. You could join a life group. You could pray for the sick. But in the end, if you don't know him, if you're harboring secret, unrepentant sin, if you're more concerned with what the world thinks, the cares of this life, those weeds that will choke you out, than you are concerned with the commands of God in Scripture. If you're not living in obedience, then frankly, you're wasting your time. And in the end, Jesus says, what you think you have will be taken away from you. And then this section concludes with one final thing. As Jesus pronounces what difference it makes to hear or to hear. He says this from verse 19. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Jesus isn't being disrespectful to his family here. But he's saying there is a kind of family that is closer than biological family. There is a bond that is closer even than blood. And that is the family of God. Those who are united with Christ through receiving the message of the gospel and living their lives in the light of that, in response to that, in obedience to his word. He says, he says my family, those who I identify with, who I accept, who belong to me, those who are mine, my mother and my brothers in the truest sense are those who hear the word of God and who do it. There is a likeness in families, isn't there? Yeah? You look at my sons they look very much like I did as a child. And they look very much like each other. 
You look at my daughters, particularly Elspeth. She looks so much like Jenny. Often when I carry her to bed at night, I look at her and I just think, because she, she doesn't like going to sleep in her own bed. She often sleeps in ours instead and then we have to carry her up later, which, you know, I'd like to say was frustrating, but it's really not. It's absolutely adorable. And as I carry her to bed, I look at her and I think, you're your mother's daughter. You look so alike. There's a family likeness. And that's what Jesus is tapping into here. That's what he's speaking about. He's saying those who have received forgiveness, those who hear and respond to the word of God in obedience, those who allow it to shape their lives, their views, their relationships, their priorities, those who allow it to change their actions, to inform their decisions, to change their desires consequently grow in the likeness of Christ. They bear the image of God more and more fully. And so I want to ask you today, do you bear the family likeness? Do you bear the family likeness? Is that you? Guys, you need to know. Is it serious? You need to know. Are you hearing? Are you really hearing? Or is this just noise passing in one ear and out the other? Because there is life and freedom and forgiveness to be found. Christ came into the world to save sinners like you and like me. That's good news. It's the best news. What we could not hope to do for ourselves, he did on our behalf through his perfect life and death and resurrection. But it demands a response. It's good news, but it requires a response. We can not and must not belittle this. And I want us to, to respond together now. Just quietly. Where you are. Because ultimately no one else can answer this question for you. At home, in your lounge, here in the octagon, no one else can answer this question for you. There might be signs that give them clues, but only you know. So I want to ask you, examine your life. Be careful how you hear. I just want you to quietly consider for a moment. Are you living in response to and obedience to the word of God? It matters. Is God's word shaping your priorities? Is the good news of the gospel shaping what you do with your time, with your money, with your relationships, with what you look at with your eyes, what you read, what you consume? Do you know what threats there are to the seed of God's word growing in your life? 
what weeds there are around that need dealing with before they begin to choke it out. Do you know? You need to know what things are weighing more heavily in your decision making than the word of God. Do you know? You need to know so that you can deal with it. You've got to be able to answer these questions. The stakes could not be higher. If we weren't in COVID times where we just can't do stuff like this, I would invite you as a sign of response, as a sign of saying, I don't just want to hear, but I want to hear. I want to bear fruit. I want to be one who responds in a life of devotion to God. I want to grow in the family likeness. I would invite you to come and, and to have someone pray with you. But we can't do that. So what I want to invite you to do instead is to stand where you are. And maybe that's at home. Joe, I wonder if you and the guys could come and lead us. I want to ask you, as I pray for us now, if you're responding to this and saying, I don't just want to hear in one ear out the other, but I want to bear fruit. I want to be one who grows in the family likeness. I don't want to have shallow, vulnerable foundations, a lack of depth, a lack of roots. I want to sink my roots down deep into the Word of God to allow Him by His Spirit to shape my life all the more. I want to invite you as I pray to stand, whether that's at home or in here, as a way of saying, yes, I, I want that. I'm not content to just play the games of cultural Christianity. I'm not content to, to compromise and peel off the layers of the onion to make my faith more acceptable. I want to take God's word, hold on to it firmly with an honest heart and bear fruit, fruit that lasts. I'm going to pray. If that's you, I want to invite you to stand in response.